Welcome to the Proceedings Podcast. I'm Ward Carroll, the Naval Institute's Director of Outreach and Marketing. Joining me this week as my co-host is my co-director of Outreach, retired Fleet Master Chief Paul Kingsbury, who is the editor of the most recent edition of the Chief's Guide. And we're also working on some other cool titles that I'll let him describe. But how's it going down there in the Hampton Roads area, Paul? It's going great. A little uh, windy and rainy these last few days, right? So we're still going through all yeah, that Yeah, you've had stuff, like, but, what, uh, like three days of nothing but gloom and doom down there? Yes. It's like ridiculous, actually, at this point. Yeah, I saw so. some stuff on Twitter with people like, we'll never see the sun again. It's like living in London. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, we, we got into 100 digits plus a week ago, and now we're down in the 70s and 60s. So it's written, you know, that, but that's typical Norfolk type of weather. Right, right. Um, so what, what do we got going on, uh, in terms of the outreach piece and, yep. uh, anything else happening on the, on the side of the Naval Institute press that the audience should be aware of? Yeah. So we, uh, you know, obviously, you know, the travel stuff isn't happening, but I'm still engaging with the senior enlisted Academy classes, you know, with the MMC Richard McKenna war presenting that, um, person who gets the excellence for written communications, give them a letter now. Yeah, you know, that's what we can do. And then looking to use the video space maybe with them, you know, to connect a little bit more with their class. And then just trying to keep pushing out monthly updates to the senior enlisted leader networks I've got. Um, using social media to push out articles, highlight enlisted authors, champion writing and things like that. Um, I was recently just uh, actually two days ago, um, I took position as the uh, president and national commander for the non-commissioned officers association. So there's another opportunity to help socialize you know, the Naval Institute um, to a broader enlisted audience, frankly, at that point across the joint force. So I think that'll be good for us. Um, and then I've had a couple authors come to me. You know, I I write still articles from time to time, but I find it more rewarding now to the champion authors. So I've got some people that have sent me some pieces. So I'm just helping them shape pieces and then get them submitted. So uh, Master Chief Dave Twyford just sent a piece in yesterday. We published that on the blog about how Recruit Training Command is um, navigating through COVID. So that was a cool piece. And then uh, Petty Officer, uh, second class, Mike Little, he's a reserve guy, posted a blog piece on how to strengthen, uh, you know, enlisted involvement, frankly, in what we would call professional organizations or military service and veteran service organizations. So if they haven't seen that, bl- those two blog pieces, they can give those a look. Um, working, trying to, I sent you a draft of that, but uh, I think Gracie just put together you know, a video I did, the Naval Institute Navigator. It's an attempt to do a video update that we'll post on social media. And you and I have talked about, hey, maybe we can take that live and, and do some stuff and get some membership audience interaction. So I'm excited to see where we can go with that, with this uh, streaming space. And then as you mentioned on the press side, I think me and my co-author, Dan Richard, are about to bring the Petty Officer Guide manuscript to close and get that submitted now. So Working the final chapter with him now, um, getting some input some, from some of the uh, Navy fleet customers, and then uh, excited to finally get that into the publication process and and out to uh, out to the fleet. So a lot yeah, going on. There's a lot going on, and you mentioned the video, uh, maybe a YouTube channel that would be a live, uh, unlike the podcast that's not live. It's it's very contemporary and very up to date, but it's not live, um, and this would allow some interface with uh, members and, and viewers in a way that uh, should be beneficial. So uh, we have a product yep. team now that, that iterates around these different types of things. So look for uh, these, these developments as we go forward. Plus the other thing that's happening in the conference center is being built uh, at a, a rapid pace. Now they're actually moving up and uh, um, there's a, uh, 
a, what do you call it, a nest cam that's on top of uh, the building that you can look down. Uh, we'll have to post the link to that so people can check out how the, uh, it's a real-time view of how the, the Jack C. Taylor Conference Center is coming together. But it's amazing. You know, it's the big dig. It, they went really deep. Uh, and now they're starting to work their way up. Um, and it's sort of beneficial that we're not there in person, that we're doing uh, work from home because of COVID-19, because the fourth deck has been completely shut down one wing at a time for the reducting and other things. But uh, as we've said before, January, February of next year, we'll uh, we'll look to do the ribbon cutting there, and that'll be a complete game changer. Also, that'll have a full-up state-of-the-art media center. So we'll be able to do green screen stuff and different programming. And so we'll look for that uh, going forward. But you're mentioning reaching out to our senior leaders. And this week's show has got a great example of that. So why don't we introduce our guest? All right, absolutely. So uh, with us today, it's my pleasure to introduce Fleet Mass Chief James Herdell. So he's uh, the old ship made of mine when I was uh, Fleet Mass Chief at U.S. Fleet Forces. He was the NECC or Navy Expeditionary Combat Command Force Mass Chief at the time. And he is now currently serving as the 15th senior enlisted leader for now U.S. Central Command, so one of the COCOM senior enlisted leaders, and frankly, the first Navy candidate that they had filling that job, so that's awesome. Uh, and he's also the 32nd Master Blaster of the Navy, so I'll let him talk a little bit about that, so that's cool. He's uh, originally from Morganfield, Kentucky, enlisted in the United States Navy in 1989, went through electrician-made A school. Uh, I think well, at that point, probably we were still drawing from the source ratings. And then he went into the explosive ordnance disposal rating in school and got his quals there. I'm not going to go into all his units, but extensive deployment in combat experience um, throughout his career, working across spectrums in that Fifth Fleet AOR with EOD Mobile Unit 2, um, Command Mass Chief of Task Group 56.1 and 52.3. Um, a lot of stuff under his belt. I had the opportunity and pleasure to talk to him and get just some of those stories. And he's got, uh, he's got the, uh, you know, performance and combat as well. So in October, 2016, like I mentioned, he was selected as the, uh, um, first mass chief for United States central command senior enlisted as the senior enlisted leader. So Jamie Herdell, thanks for taking some time to join us. Welcome to the proceedings podcast. I am glad to be here. Thanks for having me. I think uh, you make me out to be a little cooler than I actually am, but I uh, appreciate the kind words. I'll start by uh, saying the being uh, selected as the first uh, Navy Master Chief to be the uh, CENTCOM senior enlisted leader, is uh, that's just pretty humbling overall. Um, not something I thought that uh, I was going to get. Uh, you know, this the 14 people before me. Uh, there's 12 Army, one Air Force, and one Marine. When um, the MECPON uh, let me know that uh, you know I was going to be the Navy's nomination, I was like, "Hey, let's not get too excited. They hire Army people for that." You know, and uh, like you know, expectation management. But uh, I guess uh, I like to say that uh, General McKenzie was, you know, looking for a uh, square peg for a round hole. So uh, you know, I ended up with the job. Uh, I am from Kentucky. You notice it said uh, that I'm from Morganfield. It doesn't say high school or anything like that because I didn't graduate high school. I dropped out of high school in 10th grade, um, worked some odd jobs until uh, I turned 18 and was able to join the Navy. I came in the Navy to, uh, you know, go to EOD school. As you said, uh, I'm the 32nd uh, Master Blaster of the Navy, which uh, means I'm the longest serving enlisted EOD tech in the Navy. And uh, 
I'm authorized to wear the, you know, my EOD badge that I wear on my uniform is now gold, not uh, pewter. I, I did, uh, you know, I would say that uh, Fleet Kingsbury was definitely uh, helpful in pointing out some things that, you know, I didn't have or I should have. And, uh, you know, my time that I was as the force, which uh, I, I think, you know, ended up being helpful to get the job. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we talked, you know, as much as you diminish it, your experience in that AOR at the time, I, I couldn't think of a better candidate, um, heavy naval presence in Fifth Fleet, and I'm glad that you're there, and I think you're doing great stuff. So so you mentioned General McKenzie, you know, you went in, you interviewed, obviously you guys connected, he saw the value set, but what are like his top three priorities that uh, that he's working right now in that AOR and how are you helping him as a senior enlisted leader to uh, accomplish and enable those the achievement of those? First thing, right out the bat, uh, make no mistake, uh, his main priority and the priority of the United States Central Command is deterring Iran, deterring their you know malign activities, and uh, trying to do, uh, deter their influence within the region. You know that, that's a heavy focus, and then obviously you know in the last year, um, as you know tensions escalate, you know, with, um, uh, the diplomatic, uh, United States diplomatic, uh, you know, uh, maximum pressure campaign. Um, you know, we have to match that. And then, uh, the second thing would be, uh, resolving the conflict in Afghanistan. The resolve for us, you know, would be the political settlement that you, you know, see that talked about on the news or things that people talk about, and, you know, as far as, um, you know, coming to a, um, you know, peaceful agreement between the Taliban and the Afghan government. And then, uh, third would be, um, continuing to maintain our, uh, counter dash and de-ISIS mission in, uh, Syria and Iraq, the influences of, uh, violent extreme, you know, organizations, you know, throughout Syria and Iraq, you know, the, the physical caliphate obviously is destroyed, but there's still, you know, pockets and there's still movement. And um, that's still our mandate. Nothing has changed with that. Obviously, I think at the national strategic level, we've started to, although all that's going on, uh, there's been a decision and over the past several years to pivot more away from the Middle East as our primary focus or threat and focus out more on China primarily with Russia coming in behind. And I think there's some overlap here with those actors. But what can you tell us about the nature of ongoing operations and threats in the AOR um, is Russia, we know Russia's there, but what's China's influence there? And then, uh, you know, as you get around and see these, these, uh, operations, how are enlisted naval professionals engaged to advance our interests around the region? Let's start with, uh, your first comment of, uh, China and Russia. Make no mistake, you know, great power competition, you know, exists in, um, United States, you know, central commands area responsibility. I mean, there are you know, combat troops, you know, both ground and air that um, operate and hold ground and conduct operations in Syria. We have forces, you know, in uh, northeast Syria that, uh, you know, rub up against and have to deal with, uh, you know, armed, you know, Russian patrols, uh, you know, every day. The thought of that, you know, hey, Russia and China and great power competition doesn't exist in, uh, you know, the Middle East. That's not that's not the it's not what we see here every day. Um, so, I mean, you have Russia's influence 
being in Syria establishes a deep water, warm water port for them. They have influence of military hardware and weapon systems, you know, into Syria. They continue to try to expand um, everywhere that we're not. Any place that, I guess a better way to say it would be any place that they can make us uncomfortable, they do. Uh, So now let's go with China. Also a uh, competition that plays out for us across a broad spectrum. So China is heavily invested in uh, shipping ports, uh, large, large scale shipping ports in uh, Pakistan, um, the Emirates, and they're using basically the economic lever of their one belt, one road, you know, to continue to advance that. So, you know, they go in with these uh, little to no interest loans, free infrastructure or whatever, you know, and it gets them a way in. And uh, in the same way with weapons, upgrade to electronics, basically helping to refine, you know, weapon systems that already uh, uh, exist They're in, you know, they continue to same, you know, as well as Russia, you know, they continue to try to sell their military hardware, you know, helicopters, radars, you know, missiles, you know, anything along those lines. They're trying to basically, you know, also influence the region as well. Okay, so then threat wise, I mean, could sit and talk this whole entire time on just uh, violent extremists and you know the different organizations they all operate you know in the middle east and uh everything that we do is to you know keep the homeland safe we're doing our part over here so you know it makes it harder for them to plan attacks on the homeland it's kind of hard to uh it's kind of hard to carry out these elaborate plans like when you got to move every night because you know you're we're looking at you that, you know if that makes sense yeah disrupting. Um, exactly the so now uh you ask about basically what a navy you know what does navy do a lot i mean you know obviously the three three of the most strategic choke points you know reside in centcom you know you have the you know the straits of hormuz you have the bam you know the bab al and then you know the suez canal 60 percent of the global economy passes through one of those on like a daily basis so the Navy ensures freedom of navigation, you know, first and foremost. I mean, you know, there's also, you know, um, the Crudez has uh, ballistic missile defense, you know, for, I mean, I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, in January, you know, Iran did shoot ballistic missiles at us. You know, that's the first time that that's happened to us. They provide a, a shield for that. The carrier that operates out there, I mean, that's a thousand foot of sovereign U.S. territory that provides us a capability to use if we can use you know any of the navy um assets to you know cover a line of effort that we can pull you know a you know one of the other joint services line of effort off of that to place in another area um it just you know adds to layers of capability and there's never a dull moment in centcom so there's always a plan there's always the next thing that's happening tomorrow. So is, uh, do you see it out of, I mean, Iran has been harassing recently, you know, are they still doing those behaviors? I don't know. Uh, or how are they provoking or being provocative or um, posturing themselves? The killing of uh, Kasim Soleimani, that, uh, that's definitely had an impact. 
I think COVID is actually has is having an effect on uh, everyone in the Middle East. There's a guess on COVID numbers for Iran, but no one really knows because you know obviously we don't. Um, right. We only know what they say, yep. but uh, they're always watching us. You know, you kind of have to look at it uh, a little deeper than just, you know, hey, this is Iran. You know, so Iran operates through their proxy groups, which are, you know, different militia groups or other funded organizations or whatever. So, I mean, that's also something else that we have to deal with, account for. And uh, that landscape, Chase, you know, changes pretty frequently as well. So back to your experience EOD, heavy operational combat experience in that AOR. What advantage do you think that brings to being the CENTCOM SEL? And then how have you been able to leverage like your NECC and your EOD experience? Uh, does that come into play a lot? Absolutely. So EOD, this EOD school is a joint service school. So, you know, I, when I'm new in the Navy, obviously I went to Navy boot camp, Navy A school, but then you know, when I went to EOD school, it's all services there. So, you know, I mean, I went to, we don't, the Navy is the only ones that, you know, do the diving and underwater portion. So, you know, when the Air Force, Marines and Army, their EOD people, uh, they graduate school at about, you know, the six or nine month mark. And then, you know, as far as the Navy goes, we still got another six months of school left. And then also too, Navy EOD school is a, um, you know, we, we teach, you know, coalition partners. So I didn't know any, you know, I mean, I just kind of thought everybody worked joint service and then with coalition, you know, that's, you know, that's the way it was when I went to school. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, when I, when I first started out, I mean, my first deployment was the, uh, you know, original Gulf war and, you know, there was coalition on that and EOD as I grew up in the world, um, you know, we're always supporting someone else. So, you know, I, I was either, you know, assigned to um, an army unit, an air force, some sort of air base um, with a MU, conventional army, you know, obviously army, navy, special forces, live in joint, work in joint, speak in joint. That wasn't, uh, it was just a normal thing to me. Now, when I actually got hired into this position, you know, not being an army person and being a Navy person, everybody was like, Whoa, how did a Navy guy get this job? You know, having a background that was pretty land intensive in the middle East. And right. then, you know, when people kind of look at you and they're like, Oh, like, so, you know, you deployed here, you were these guys. I was like, yep. You know, I was here at that point in time and it, it makes you relatable. So, you know, having experience in the Navy, you know, I did deploy on an aircraft carrier, I deployed it on an amphib, uh, I deployed it on an AOE. I can be with sailors and try to, you know, I can take a, a you know, a term that is, you know, something in the Navy and I'm like, oh, well, this is kind of like this, that the, you know, it happens in the Army or, you know, but this is, you know, this piece of equipment is kind of like what they do with that or, yeah. you know, same way with like career development and things like that. So the EOD you know, community itself and how it's ordered and, you know, how it operates, I think was definitely helpful in, uh, you know, making the transition uh, into this position a little easier. So NECC, you know, that's a, you know, it's one of the only um, global type commands. 
So even though my headquarters was down the road, you know, from you at Fleet Forces, you know, I still was responsible for people in Indo-PACOM to the far reaches. And then obviously, you know, in the Middle East. So understanding how you deploy an East Coast uh, organization to Japan or, you know, moving, you know, forces globally or in support of theater operations you know, when you get to this level and you're the one, you know, you're sitting next to the guy that's actually, you know, moving the chess pieces around the board um, that I didn't walk into it with no understanding. I was like, Oh, well, this is how that works. So what's the coolest thing about being in this job, right? So there, I think one thing you just mentioned that would be cool is being able to see the ultimate connection from strategic level and be able to connect that to your tactical experience and see how the whole picture comes together what else is cool about being the job and is it what you thought it would be all the times I encouraged and said it would be a cool thing for you to do. Cause we did talk about this job specifically and your resume was perfect for it. Did I set you up for something good or uh, do I have a reckoning coming in? No, not at all. Um, uh, first and foremost, you know, the coolest thing about this job is I'm a senior enlisted leader for United States central command. Yeah. That's the coolest thing about it. I've spent my entire adult life in the Middle East, uh, and now um, I sit beside of the uh, general that's responsible for the Middle East, and uh, I, there is nothing on a daily basis that uh, is not cool. There's been, um, you know, kind of a uh, slang term around here is is that CENTCOM is uh, every day in CENTCOM is extreme with, you know, heightened periods of extreme. And uh, that's, a, that's a pretty accurate statement of what it's like to work here in the headquarters. I'm only a little over a year in the job, and uh, there are several extended periods of time where, you know, there was no days off. I kind of, when people ask me to describe, you know, what it's like working here or like what it's like to, you know, be running at such a pace, you know, I, I kind of... I once needed some cash and there's a Navy federal that's uh, right outside the front gate. And, uh, we were getting ready to, you know, um, leave on a trip, uh, again to fly back to the theater. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, I needed some money. And, uh, so I, I went out to, you know, I was like, oh, I'll just go to the ATM and, uh, I will, uh, come back and then we'll go get on the plane. Mm-hmm. And, uh, when I was driving through the gate, I realized that I had not driven my truck off base in six weeks. So, I mean, I, I had never, I had not left MacDill Air Force Base in six weeks. Now, I mean, that's not saying that I was on MacDill the entire six weeks, you know, trapped flying back and forth between uh, Tampa and the Middle East. But, you know, yeah. while I was actually here, I'd not left. So, uh, point of that is, is that with as many hours as we turn here and no days off, uh, it's incredible. It is truly incredible to be a part of this organization. I work with some of the most intelligent and dedicated people that I've ever been around in my military career. And that, you know, from all services, it's pretty humbling to be, I dropped out of high school in the 10th grade and I didn't even get a GED to like, I was the chief. I'm sitting in a room with just brilliant people, you know, like, and wondering how I ended up here. This job's a gift. You know, General McKenzie called me up one day and was like, I got a gift for you. Um, (laughs) I 
think it's a gift. I treat it as a gift and, uh, it'll, you know, it'll be a gift until the day I got to give it to someone else, you know, and then it'll still be a gift I used to have. And so, I always thought that was cool. Um, so even at fleet forces, right. As the Naval component under Northcom and then Stratcom too, just to be in briefs and see how we can leverage those capabilities. And some of the things I heard come out of Stratcom, it's an eye opener and a privilege that most people will never get. So I'm glad that's, uh, that you're enjoying it and you had that opportunity, so another thing is, I think I saw it at, at some point you sent me a picture, right? You sent me a text and it was you, I think, behind the general and he was testifying right in front of Congress. So what's been your experience with congressional testimony? Are you actually as a COCOM SEL? I know the service senior enlisted testify. Do you testify with SEAC or what's your experience with congressional te- testimony? What, what was that experience like? I have not done like where I testified. Okay. Um, at the house or the Senate, but, uh, you know, obviously, you know, from, you know, pictures and, uh, TV, you know, I, you know, I, I sit behind him, you know, there's more to it that goes on to that, that obviously I, I didn't realize. And, uh, so first, you know, let me start with this. So uh, when I worked for fleet Kingsbury, he called me up one day and he's like, Hey, he's like, I heard of this. Uh, they got this class up at Georgetown university. It's called, uh, it's called the Congress course. And he's like, ah, you should go to that. And I was like, you know, man, he's, you know, okay. So, um, you know, I, I, is the force from NECC, I go up to this course and like, it was amazing. You know, I was like, wow, you know, this is how Congress works. And then, uh, I, I get here to this job and, uh, you know, one of the first things that we're doing is, uh, congressional outreach, you know, where where the, you know, the boss, you know, um, you know, we goes up and sees them or calls them or they communicate. And, uh, you know, the dialogue that goes on, you know, the questions they ask, you know, things they want to know. And, uh, so you're like, okay, you know, this is a little, that's, man, you're really asking a, <laughs> that's a pretty detailed question you're asking there. Okay. And then, uh, so then now flash forward, you know, I guess to the, you know, posture hearings, that, you know, they do annually at the, you know, the house and the Senate, you know, there's, there's two versions, you know, there's the public one and then there's the closed, closed one. The thing, obviously, you know, the things that are asked are drastically different, but, uh, you know, when we were doing the, uh, you know, the boss was doing preps for that. Um, you know, one of the, 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 I think the most biggest takeaways I had for it was, I've been a part of having to do CODEL, you know, the congressional delegation visits. I, yeah. You know, I, I've been around that my whole career, you know, and they're like, oh, okay. Oh, hey, you know, this, you, they ask you questions, you tell them, and then, you know, your, your hour's done. <laughs> the impact that those have that result in queries and questions is, uh, I had no idea. I, I don't ever claim to be this the smartest guy in the room. I'm pretty much always the dumbest guy in the room. But uh, I, it, I tell it takes you, a lot to get through EAD school. I know that <laughs> for sure. So I wouldn't underrate yourself there. Well, no, but I would just say that uh, the the impact that some E3, E4, O1, O2, you know, has, they don't even know they have. You, you get asked a question, you answer a question. Yeah. And then that comes out and, you know, some sort of uh, question like, oh, well, hey, um, when I was out on this trip, I, you know, they said this, or, Hey, or they said this was useless or, Hey, they said, you know, that, that doesn't work. Or, you know, when I was out here, they said this and, you know, 
the thing is, is that, you know, you take a, and it's not that, you know, the, the comment that was given was right or wrong. It's just that being where I'm at now and seeing my life in full circle, you know, like I can see yeah. now that I, I consider myself pretty informed because I sit next to the guy who is the most informed. Yes. And, uh, so when I'm out and I listen to the same people talking, you're like, oh man, yeah, <laughs> you know, you know, you only know a snapshot, you know, you, you know, your little widget that's, yep. you know, that, that you don't like and, or, you know, you don't think it's working, but you know, and the, by and large in the whole picture, you know, it actually is, you know, super helpful and, you know, you have no idea how important what you're doing is. Yep. And, uh, I think, uh, th- that's just an, an example of a thing that I found, uh, pretty uh eye opening whereas i didn't uh you know it's not it would not have been something that i i would have thought that important so you mentioned your i don't know what the extent of your travels been i'm sure it's been impacted with covid but say covid aside what was your travel battle rhythm like into theater and then as you went around and talked to you know senior enlisted service members what what were like the top aor needs that were consistently coming out prior to the covid uh we, uh, uh, anywhere from 10 days to two weeks, you know, average, uh, a month we would be in the AOR. Okay. Um, but then there's also, you know, back and forth to DC, uh, yeah. you know, I hey, Tampa's gorgeous, you know, make no mistake. Tampa's gorgeous, but you know, it's not around anything that, uh, you know, every, er, 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 everything <laughs> that, that, that we impact is somewhere else. So there's quite right. a bit of travel. I, I thought I traveled a lot in my last job and then I got this job. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, uh, but once again, I told you, it's never, everything we do is important. You know, there's no, and you, you know, you work for a four star, so you understand the people that are, you know, hold those positions. They don't have a spare moment in their day nor their life. So, uh, you know, I'm fortunate that, uh, general McKenzie, you know, his expectation is that, um, you know, I'm always with him. So, um, I run at the same pace that he does, you know, um, which most of the time keeps me in awe of him because he has, you know, 41 years of commission service, um, which is obviously 10 more than me. And, you know, I'm tired. So <laughs> the interactions, um, I think you, you, you're asking, you know, what do people need or want? Is that, that yeah. that's yeah. Okay. So, I'm going to be the guy that says it, uh, like, and I used to hate the people that like, I'm like, what, why are you talking like that? Uh, I mean, they don't need anything because in our area, most of our people, they're engaged in somewhere that is kinetic. So something that they would inherently need to conduct their mission or do their mission you know, the, you know, they run that up through, you know, their component or through, um, you know, inherent resolve or, uh, resolute support. And right. it comes to us and it's dispatched with a quickness, you know, for, to support them. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So, you know, with that being said, could I use, you know, 50,000 more people? Could I use, you know, four aircraft carriers? Could I use, you know, 10 more submarines? Of course, you know, who, yeah. could, who can't, but, um, for, the missions that we are assigned or the operations that we are assigned, uh, we are resourced to do what we need. But, you know, with that said, you know, like anyone else, you're like, oh, I could totally, do, you know, I, I could use more. And I would think most people in that theater know why they're there, what they're doing, right? The connection to kinetics is there. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Okay. So, but I mean, 
you know, in, in a want, you know, one of the things that I, I think that I've um, found, I told you I wasn't a smart guy when I came in the Navy, uh, but some of the questions that I get asked, people, you know, service members, you know, I, I you know, I'm long since past saying sailors, you know, it's, yeah. you, you know, I quickly learn in this job, I don't say sailors, but uh, yep. man, just they, these, these kids today are just incredibly smart. And Absolutely. the things they the things they think about and the things they talk about, I'm like, like, wow, like, yep. did you just ask me that? Or, you know, because um, obviously, you know, I, when I'm standing next to the boss, you know, the things they ask him, you know, I'm like, man, did you just ask? Like, that's like, I don't even know what you just said yep. kind of thing. Information like, you know, social media, it's so instantaneous. Both of you served before I did. My first deployment, you know, as a third class, you know, my chief would be like, hey, get up. You know, every day I had to go up to radio to pick up message traffic. The only news that you knew about or you saw came on the, you know, the through message traffic. Yep. You know, that's how you got your sports. And that's how you got your daily news. So, you know, they live in a different world where they can, you know, log on. And because, you know, there's so many, you know, different versions of media. That's one of the biggest things. They're like, hey what's the deal with this? Or, Hey, you know, where are we going with this? And, uh, I, I think I, I would just leave it at that is that the most that people ask me about is they want to know, Hey, where we're going, what we're doing, yeah. what's the plan for this. And, uh, that's pretty much the bulk of it. That yeah. reminds me on my first cruise on, on the Indy on the USS independence, I was a JG. We had the super bowl caught it aboard Actually, it was an S3 from Diego Garcia. They blocked the message traffic that we would normally get, so we didn't know what the results were. To your point, just demonstrates, and I haven't thought about that for years, how different the flow of information is between then and now. There was you know, things that the fleet, your average sailor, would take for granted, access to email, access to real-time news in 96-man or wherever you happen to be. They are more plugged in for sure. Um, and I think that also can be a leadership challenge uh, in ways where the current environment being very polarized and being very political, even in the most innocuous conversation can turn into something uh, that, that could go sideways. So let me just ask you in general, as you're uh, doing your, your various uh, engagements, what's your sense of morale? I, I got it. They're smart and, and, and they're plugged in, but what, how, how is morale currently versus other times in, in your career? So um, we in the last year have been uh, we've reopened and we started putting forces in uh, Prince Sultan Air Base in uh, Saudi Arabia. You probably remember it called uh, PSAB. I've been there. I've been there on my way to Riyadh. Uh, absolutely, sir. Me too. Um, so you know, it, it's a little different setup. You know, you know, we, we put a couple of, uh, Patriots in there and then we started bringing some air wing in and, uh, it, it, you know, this time last year, it was austere to say the least, you know, and, uh, I've been in some austere environments. So, you know, I can tell you that they were living pretty, uh, pretty Spartan out there for, you know, a while. And, uh, you know, I, I, me and the boss go out there and I'm anticipating having to, you know, Hey, you know, I got to explain the porting, you know, importance of why they're here, you know, what's going on, you know, um, 
uh, UAS is flying in, attacking the, the, the kingdom and, uh, you know, what you're doing is important and well, cause it is. And, you know, but when I get there, um, man, you know, I, I'm bracing to have to have this, you know, here it comes, you know, like, uh, you got me living here, you know, I'm in this tent, you know, and you know, they're in tents, you know, basically porta potties and they're and you no know, hot meals. I mean, they're MRE in it and, you know, army and air force. And, you know, they like, they're like no complaining, like, Oh yeah. You know, it's hot out here. Yeah. You know, it's pretty Sandy dust storms every day, but, uh, you know, they're like, Hey, I'm doing something nobody else is doing, you know, just their, their own sense of self-worth and, you know, you know, job accomplishment and pride, you know, um, I was like incredible, you know, incredible. Uh, we went out on the, uh, we're out on the boxer, fly out and land on the boxer. And, uh, you know, I mean, the boss are going around the ship and, uh, same way, you know, they're like, ah, you know, look right over there. You know, those are, you know, FAC and FIAX, you know, we're just waiting on them. You know, they're, they're, you know, they're scared to come out here, you know? And so I would tell you that the morale is, is good and it's good as in, and people understand, you know, the, you know, the importance of what they're doing there and with things that go on back home. And like you said, polarized, I mean, I, you know, people are concerned about that, but whereas I thought things would be more of an issue and I need to be prepared to, you know, as a senior enlisted leader to, to address those things, uh, and not, um, and I, I, I find, uh, I find the newer, um, the, you know, the younger service members, I, I find them just talented people. They, they want to do what their service trained them to do. Yeah. And I think that's the key part of it, right? Is connection, right? You got to have a sense of purpose and like the team you're on. Right. And, um, we know that, right. Your, your tactical level leaders shape that climate. Right. So, um, you know, you hear all the talk about resiliency and toughness and all that, but, uh, and we both we all experience this in our own ways as a naval aviator, as a navy nuke, as an EOD, right? It you get in these situations where it sucks, but it sucks for the whole group, right? So you bond over that with the tribe, right? And you have a sense of identity with something bigger, hopefully. And I think uh, I think you're right with this generation, right? They're definitely connected to the mission. I think our leadership's more uh, you know informed and they're more connected to their people and and sensitive to communicating mission and outcomes. But it's rewarding to advocate for this modern, uh, not just for resources, but for the capability of a modern enlisted force, right? And to tell people, this isn't your enlisted force of 50, 60, 70 years ago. And if you've got that mindset, you need to break that now because these are capable young men and women. They come in sometimes, not all, but we've got coming in with master's degrees, but they're informed, they're capable, they're educated. And I love the opportunity through the Naval Institute and and coming up with NCOA to champion that, that piece of the enlisted experience. I think you're seeing that. So, well, I think the other thing, and and here what I, I'm heartened by Fleet's explanation because I think it's right on. The microphone has been stolen from from let, let's just say us by the chattering class who want to ascribe morale outcomes in different yeah. environments based on things like the the Theodore Roosevelt COVID nineteen Guam Crozier. Uh, right. You know, you see the video, the the crew clapping when he gets fired and is walking down the brow. 
and like see they you know and they they just extrapolate this to be the entire yes. military so i don't know if this falls on in the case of the navy you know my good friend admiral brown as chinfo or whomever else to tell those stories more frequently with a greater persistence again we are the open forum we're not carrying dod's water at the, at the naval institute um not to mention a joint command like centcom but i don't think uh that that what you've just said fleet is getting out enough you know and and so that just i'll put that in the back of my mind here um so we're we're running tight on time here are there any any closing thoughts or anything else uh fleet that uh you want to get on the streets here I, I would just like to thank both of you for, uh, you know, asking me to do this and then uh, asking questions and wanting to know what, you know, a day in the life of uh CENTCOM's like. Um, it is like nothing I've ever experienced in my life. And you, you mentioned that this billet and the, the your service has been a gift. Um, let me stand on its head and say that what you've done as young guy with a 10th grade education as you've already said, that you would imagine you'd arrive where you are now really is a, a testament to uh, the, the military opportunities and, let me say particularly, what can happen in the U.S. Navy. And without being a recruiting poster, you are a walking example of that. So uh, we're very proud of you. We look yes. forward to what you're able to do from this point forward. And uh, thanks for giving us some time here on the podcast today. Thank you guys very much. All right, Jamie, it was great seeing you. Thanks for your thoughts. Our guest today has been Mass Chief James Sardell. He's the 15th Command Senior Enlisted Leader for U.S. Central Command and the 32nd Master Blaster of the Navy. Good luck to you, James. All right, that'll do it for this episode of the podcast. Remember, victory begins at the Naval Institute. We'll see you next show. Thank you.